in this episode of A Man's Journey, we catch up with Matt Hawson. Matt is a devoted husband, father for who realized his lack of connection with his father due to a tragic workplace accident was carrying over into his relationships with his wife and his children. We talk about the moment he realized this and the action he took to overcome those issues. Matt and I had the luxury of being together in a course taught by Traver Bohm uh, through Man Uncivilized. And I can't tell you how excited I am to interview Matt. Hope you all enjoy. Hey, Matt. So I just uh, a, want to say thank you for the opportunity uh, for me to interview you. Uh, as we talked previously that I wanted to start this podcast and uh, I, I can't choose a better person to, to do my first interview with. And so a man's journey, my vision behind this is to really interview men that have uh, experienced many different things in life and, and wanted to shift the narrative, wanted to be more conscious, be more intentional, be connected with self and others to live their fullest lives. And I just want to know a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into the, today's topic of ending generational trauma. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for Appreciate you. allowing me to be your first. I'm your first. I love it. Yeah. Now, a bit about me. Uh, how can I sum this up without chewing up 15 minutes of your time? Uh, I'm a father of four for now. Uh, we are planning on having six. That's sort of our, our number for parenthood. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, I'm an oil and gas electrician. So I've been in the oil and gas field for 12 years, I think. 13 years. No, it's 13 years. I started 2009. Uh, yeah, I guess the background to me is I grew up uh, down in like a little coastal town called, well, it's Ocean Grove-ish now, but it used to be called Colandina. Um, or it may still be called Colandina, but everyone just calls it Ocean Grove. I can't remember. I can't keep up with it. Uh, we moved out to a farm, uh, probably like 20 minutes, half an hour away from there when I was about 10 years old. Uh, we're a family of five. So there was, I was the youngest of three kids. I've got two older sisters. Um, my father was a electrician in heavy industry as well. He used to work for a car manufacturing company here. Um, and when I was really young, he got injured in a workplace accident. Um, which sort of badly banged up his knee. Um, and it wasn't until much later in life. In fact, it was the last, sometime in the last three years where I sat down and just went, hey, I just want to know more about what happened with that accident. Like, can you tell me what happened? Because my child brain had this idea that he, I don't know if, if you guys, whoever doesn't know, I'll just try and explain it, but there's things called transformers, which transform power. They change power from like they step up and step down the voltage, right? So you'll see them on power lines, power poles. You'll see them in transfer stations and all kinds of stuff. Well, he was changing one of these things out and these things are heavy. Um, are we okay to swear? Or do you want yeah, to- Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. All right, all right. I just wanted to double check. <laughs> In case, in case we've got well, some sensitive people. Because no, I'm, I'm Australian and swearing is just a part of the culture, um, but I'll try and keep it. I'll try not to go too overboard. But anyway, these things are fucking heavy. So even a small one like this size can be many kilos. They're, they're heavy. There's like balls of fucking copper 
twined up and they've got uh, magnets and stuff built into them. They're heavy as shit. Well, anyway, he was getting one of these things out of a, a cabinet because it had blown up. Um, it was on a weekend, the job wasn't planned and his supervisor was like, hey, we need to get this thing out. So basically, long story short, they were removing it. They were wiggling it down a couple of planks of wood and it fell off these little planks oh, of wood. Wow. Like it was probably one of the dumbest ways you could do this job. It could have got a forklift, a crane, anything just to lift that weight and just drag it out. But they didn't have those available at the time. So he thought, oh, we'll just try this and see how it goes. Well, I thought that thing fell on his leg and crushed his leg. But I found out much later, that's not what happened. What happened is it knocked his leg and he got some damage done to his knee. And then he was told, nah, you'll be fine. Like, just keep moving around on it. It'll be fine. Didn't realize he'd like torn ligaments inside his knee. So weeks later or a month later, he goes to the hospital and they do an x-ray or they do their MRIs. They do some scans on it and they say, you need a knee reconstruction. It's like, okay, great. Well, this is fine. I can do this. It's covered by work, site, uh, work cover. So he's able to still support the family through this process. Now he has surgery done and something happens during that surgery and he ends up with golden staff inside his knee. And this is back in the days, like this is the 90s when they had this surgery, right? So this wasn't keyhole. This is, we're going to cut a big line down your knee. We're going to peel it open and we're going to go very intrusive with all these tools. We're going to cut and dice and slice and we're going to put you back together and stitch you up. Now, the after effect of that was a very, very, very prolonged period of significant pain for him. There was a lot of hospital visits. There was a lot of medication. Like I remember him walking around with a briefcase, right? People associate briefcases with computers and with notebooks and with pens. I, I associate briefcases with medication. It was a briefcase full of, full of meds for pain relief, for, um, for infection control, for like just you name it. It was like this one for the pain, this one for the infection, this one for this other thing, this one to combat side effects of this one, this one to combat the side effects of that. It was like a never ending list. And he had these ulcers on his leg that were just massive open welts, like massive, you know, bigger than it, like the size of a baseball on his leg. And I had this nurse come out and she'd be like peeling these things off so gentle. And like, I just remember him like just yelling and grunting in pain, just, just from them changing these, these dressings. So the, the effects of that accident was that I effectively lost my father. While he was still there in my life, he wasn't present because he couldn't be. He had so many drugs in his system that he would be asleep a lot of the time. And when he was awake, it was very short-lived. He couldn't walk anywhere, so he couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't drive far because of the amount of pain that it would cause. And like if we took an outing for a day and we walked around for half a day or a day, he'd be in bed for two or three days after that, just completely worn out, completely destroyed by the effort it took just to go for a, you know, a walk for half a day to a day. Um, I'd come home with a sniffle from school he'd be in bed for two weeks. Like that was our life for years and years and years. Um, and when I got to my teenage years, that's when that all that sort of missing time with my father accumulated to a point. And 
in that process, I was taking a lot of the time to things with my sisters, right? My mum took care of me a lot. I was, I hung out at my friend's place a lot. So his mum, I owe a lot to as well because I was always welcome at their house. But there was a lot to be said for not having time with my father and not having so much quality time with my father and also not having the time to do the things that I wanted to do as a child. You know, I wanted to get into motorbikes. I wanted to get into archery and boxing and all these things. And there wasn't time or space for that. And by the time I reached 13, I just basically rejected everything. I just went like, I, I don't sort of, this was all sort of like, this is in hindsight, right? At the time, it's just like, well, I'm just mad at the world, all of it. Like everything's fucking shit. I hate it. Like I've got to make things fun or what's the fucking point? And so make things fun turned into underage drinking, smoking, um, smoking weed. And to the point of like, I was hanging out with guys when I was like 14 and 15, I was riding around in cars with like 20 year olds with a slab of beer at my feet. And we'd just be talking. We'd be going and visiting his friends and stuff and we'd just be drinking the whole time. I was in the cars with guys that were like, you know, 20, 21, and we would be speeding down highways. Speeding, like 160K an hour, 140K an hour, somewhere around there. And he'd be driving and he'd be lighting bongs between his fucking knees doing 140 down a highway. Wow. You know, you, um, to set the frame for a second, we, me and you have been talking for months now. We, we were, we had the, um, the luxury of being able to go through Traver Bones leadership crucible and coaching certification together. And I remember when we jumped on a phone call, our very first, we, we actually, the first week of the 12 week process, me and you got on a phone call and we had a lot of similarities, you know, four kids, we had some traumas associated around our fathers and things of that nature. And there's just this connection from the beginning. And I remember you telling me that story for the first time. And I was like, I, I wrote down, and I told you this uh, before we started recording, I wrote down ending generational trauma. And I put your name next to it, right? I didn't know that it was going to be a podcast. I didn't know which direction I was going through this, but I wanted to know more. So where you, you just set the, re you set the frame, you, you had a backstory, you, you gave a little bit, tell me at what point in your life you realized that that was what you were, like what you were struggling with and you wanted to change the narrative. You wanted to take control and shift the trauma that you experienced from your father and, and everything that was going on. What, when was that? And, and tell me about that. That's a perfect segue. So I was yeah, drinking, I, I quit smoking at a sort of young age, but I, the drinking stayed, the sort of doing things to excess stayed around. Um, and I had, I had no idea what self-care looked like or what it was. I had no idea what fucking needs were. Um, and then when we were, so me and my partner have been together since we were 15, I think. Yeah, 15. So it's just like a, about a month before my 16th birthday, uh, we started dating and we had our first child at 23. And I was, 
at that point, I was unprepared to be a parent, right? Like I agreed to it because I, I liked the idea of having kids young so that when I get older into my 40s and stuff, like I don't have to be changing nappies and dealing with toddler tantrums and stuff. But now that we're going to have six, I'm probably going to end up there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm with you on that, man. I I'm, I had kids when I was 23. So eight, six, four, yeah. and two. I know you're paying. <laughs> so it was it was that point that that my my reference changed or my lens changed so our first child was born um she's now eight years old and it was like the first slap in the face for me of like who the fuck am i to have a child with running around with the drinking with the being a fucking asshole swearing at people like just generally carrying on and walking through this world like a fucking dickhead is the best way to put it i had no real personal direction right i had a trade behind me that i was good at um but i dove into my work a lot i was a workaholic back then and i avoided family duties because it's so much easier to fix shit at work because i have the tools i have the skills i have the knowledge to know how to fix those things, but how to have, how to deepen connection, how to um, like level myself as a man and as a father and be present. They were fucking skills I didn't have. They were tools I didn't have. It was, that was hard. It was hard dealing with the emotions of, of a wife who's gone through childbirth. You know, it's traumatic. Even if it's, even the greatest experience can be traumatic. It's a massive change to their body. And I was just not prepared for that. But then I got this additional slap in the face of, well, who the fuck are you to have a kid? Are you there? You're now her role model. Like she's going to grow up and she's going to look to you as the, as an image of a man. And the way you're walking this earth drinking and just, I don't know, this like overly aggressive nature, this dedication to work over everything else She's going to grow up and she's going to look for that. Is that what I want for her? Do I want her to grow up and to marry a man who drinks too much, who's a fucking asshole, who is not in control of his emotions at all and works all the fucking time? And that, that transpired into me like every day I'd look in the mirror and I fucking hated who looked back. I went, I fucking hate this person that I'm staring at. That's powerful right there. Keep telling me Thank more, you. man. I just wanted to say right. that statement right there is powerful. I've heard it many times and every single time it gives me chills. Thank you. So that was the start of my journey. That was the starting point. The first catalyst that, that crafted change. Um, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of fuck ups between then and me arriving here in like Travis um, uncivilized nation, jumping into this coaching course, this leadership course, meeting you and having these open conversations about all this stuff. There's a lot of fucking mistakes in the process to there. And that slap in the face happened more than once, right? That was the first time. And I went, Oh shit, I've got work to do. Like, this is not what I want. 
So I started reading, I started researching and I went down some rabbit holes that I wish I hadn't gone down. But that being said, if I hadn't have gone down them, I, I, st- I wouldn't be where I am now. I would be a different person. I would be somewhere completely else. Like I went down there. I'm going to just drop it because fuck it. The red pill and the MG Tau stuff that for a little while resonated hard with me. It was, they're taking they they want your money. They're just with you till they're going to move on somewhere else. Right. And this is not a story that I'm alone in. There's a lot of men out there who think like this. And my stance on it is, no, they're not. My wife stood behind me when I was a fucking asshole, period. She didn't fuck off and look for fucking money. She didn't fuck off and look somewhere else. She knew that there was parts of me that were fucking worth staying around for. And it wasn't my money. For, for, so those, that, that, for those that may not know what MG Town and the Red Pill are, can you just give a... I don't want to give too much publicity to that, but just tell me, just kind of set the frame there. Cause some people, like, I, I remember when you first told me, I didn't know what that was. So the red pill, that's like a reference, right? And I think there's multiple places that use that reference, but in the context that I'm talking, it's men take the red pill, right? It's the, it's the matrix story. It's the red pill or the blue pill, right? The blue pill, you go to sleep, you wake up tomorrow back living the same life. The red pill you take and your life's going to change. And the story behind that red pill is that these, and I'm going to butcher this. So anyone that's listening, that's red pill or uh, MG Tau, feel free to attack me because I don't give a shit um, on your opinions <laughs> on this. But bring, bring it. I, I see it. <laughs> I see it as like, uh, it's a wake up and see what women are really like, what their real intentions are like. And it's like a fucking feedback loop. You got a bunch of guys in there all telling stories of this is what happened to me, this is what happened to me, this is what happened to me. And I'm like, well, I don't want to, in the end, after I nearly fucked my marriage with this kind of mentality, um, I went, well, I don't want that. Like, how do I fucking avoid this shit from happening? Like, there's got to be more than just oh, they're going to leave if they're going to leave. And then that's just stiff shit. And then you do this and your life's going to be infinitely better. I'm like, I don't want to lose my fucking kids, period. And just to sort of circle back before I go too far down that hole, MG Towers, men go their own way. Red Bull, MG, like they're they're kind of the same thing. Public service announcement. That doesn't work. (laughs) No, it fucking doesn't. If you want your relationship to end and you want to be fucking seeing your kids every second weekend, go right ahead. But it ain't a fucking long-term answer for you as a man. It isn't. It's a one-way ticket to fucking some pretty fucking shallow relationships in your future, if you if you want my opinion on it. But um, yeah, so from there, after really doing some bad shit, I realized what was at stake. And I went, all this fucking reading all this research like all this fucking work i'm putting in to try and figure out how to be a, be a better man and this is where i fucking landed myself worse off than i was three or four years ago there's got to be something more and that's when i started moving more into this more grounded masculine space right it's more i'm a man i can do all the fucking things that i enjoy doing and i can do that unapologetically I can train jujitsu. I can box. I can fucking go hunting. I can 
chop wood. I can do all these traditional masculine things and I enjoy all of those fucking things. But I can also sit down, I can stare my wife in the eyes and I can tell her how much I love her. How many men are even comfortable doing that? I'm sure there's a lot. But I'm sure there's a lot like me that aren't. I'm sure there's a lot that don't have open communication around sex with their goals in life, with their wife's goals in life. Like, hey, what do you need right now? Where are you trying to go? And how can I help you get there? My intentions are not to fucking control my wife at all. I want her to be free to be who she wants to be and to go her path. And while we're doing that, we could go completely different paths, but we're not actually separating. In my opinion, if the communication's there and the intentions are there and the fucking love is there and it's shown, we're not going to go like this. We're going to go next to each other. We're going to go parallel, different paths, but we're still there together. Yeah, I remember I remember talking or uh, listening to a podcast uh, with uh, GS Youngblood. He was talking about having one hand on them, on your on your spouse, uh, in this case, your wife and one hand on yourself right? If you have two hands yeah. on yourself, you're a narcissistic asshole and you, you're not having that, that delicate balance. If you have two yeah. hands on uh, your, your wife, you're that nice guy that doesn't have any healthy boundaries that, that they just walk all yeah. over you, things of that nature. If you have a hand on yourself and a hand on your spouse, your wife, you have that delicate balance to be in, in tune with each other and having that communication flow to be on that same path. For you to do your work, her to do her work, and that flows into the relationship pot. Oh, absolutely. And I just wanted to yeah. say that because that, that really resonated when we've talked about that and uh, having that balance between you and your spouse. Oh, absolutely. It needs to be there. Like, guys, if you're listening, you've got to do some work on yourself. Whatever that work looks like for you, you've got to do it. And you've got to be open to your wife doing it too even as scary as it can be, because you're definitely going to have some feelings of they're going to grow, they're going to change, they're going to outgrow me, or they're going to leave, they're going to look for something better. It's like, that can happen. But it's much less likely to happen if you're helping each other. And if you're both growing together, if you're growing separately, and you're not talking, and, you know, one of the, one of the most common stories is, um, one, one of the partners will lose a ton of weight, right? So if you're in a, a relationship where both partners are overweight, one of them drops a heap of weight, then they move on. And it's like, there's so much more in losing weight than just the fact of losing weight. There is mental shifts that happen. There are lifestyle changes that happen. And it can be very challenging to make lasting change when someone you're living with is not interested in that change at all. And they're not, like they can be supportive of you and be like, yeah, you're doing a great job doing all that stuff, but they're still going buying bag chips and chocolate bars and fucking milkshakes and all kinds of shit while you're with them and filling the house with that stuff. It's like, well, are you actually being supportive or are you just saying you're being supportive? Because saying support is different to acting supportive. Acting supportive is, you know what? I could lose some weight too. I'm going to do this too. Even if you're already relatively fit and healthy, it's like, well, I can fuck you. You want to diet? I'll go on the same diet with you. I had a, uh, and you can be supportive. I had a, uh, a woman reach out to me 
uh, and asked a question on one of my stories, my Instagram stories recently, and said, how can I make my husband wake up like you've woken up, right? In the sense of connection, uh, inner self, like creating healthy boundaries and things of that nature. And I put the joke out there. I was like, well, you got to kick him first. (laughs) But no, what I, what I ultimately had said was that at they'll come to it on their time. What you can do in the meantime is you can work on yourself. You can hire your vibration. You can put your energy on the things that grow, that you grow, make you grow. And that, that energy is contagious. That vibration is contagious. And then that gives them two options, right? Do they want that? And if they do want that, they'll grow with you. Or if you, if they don't want that, then slowly what's going to happen is over time, like you mentioned with, with the weight loss analogy, then they, they'll, they'll drift apart. Yeah, and exactly right. you'll, you'll attract what you're doing. And yep. I, and I, that relates to me. And, and, and I know we've talked that relates to my situation uh, so much, you know, my wife was doing her work. And at first I wasn't, I wasn't on board for that. And then I slowly realized, man, this is, this is something I need to do for myself. And uh, yeah. so I, I truly believe in what you're saying and like, you know, mindset, energy, vibration, and it's, it's, it's going to translate over. And, and you see that common with weight loss. I, I've seen that many of my, my friends, like they've, they've done their weight loss journey, 75 hard things of that nature. And then a couple, couple weeks, months later, they're like, yeah, you know, I, I had to let go of my boyfriend, my, my girlfriend, uh, husband, wife, because I was being enabled in every aspect of my life. And I didn't realize it until I shifted on that one. Yeah. And sometimes the easiest way to do what you need to do, which a lot of the times these things come down to a need, right? Like in a spiritual space, in a weight loss space, in all these different, like it could even be a business space, right? You could be a stay-at-home mom who goes, you know what? I really want to start a fucking business. And the husband could be like, yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, you should be really just looking after the kids. It's just like, why are you suggesting that like why are you not supporting it they got this idea and it's a good idea like talk through it figure it out see if it is viable do all this like do some research first before you just say no like they want to get into the spiritual space support that support that and see it as a call if you're not in that space doing that kind of work yourself that's a call to action for you as well as a man absolutely if they're saying, I'm going to do, I want to do these different things or grow myself, that's a check-in point. Okay, where am I at? What am I doing for me? What's my daily routine look like? Am I sleeping in, getting up, going to work, coming home, grabbing a beer, watching TV? Absolutely. I want to, I want to um, go back uh, as we were talking uh, about it earlier in the podcast you, you started to talk about an instance for you where generational trauma had shown up in your life. Uh, I, tell me more on what you're, what, what you're willing to dive into. Talk to me about what, how that impacted you as a youth, how it impacted you as a father. And then I want to get into how have you been able to shift that narrative? How have you been able to reframe yeah, right. and reshift? Okay. Um, so for me, that, that point, which we have spoken about before, it's 
um, was affection. So affection to children. Um, my father wasn't particularly affectionate towards us. And he had his reasons for being that way. And that stems from his childhood, the way he was raised and his parents. Um, now, how did that affect me? Well, it was probably a thing just to add to the list, right? The, the communication wasn't always great, right? There was this sort of thing of kids shouldn't be involved in adult business and adult conversations, right? So I grew up and I didn't, I didn't know how to navigate difficult conversations and difficult times because we didn't discuss them openly. Um, so that's one thing I'm taking forward into my job as a parent now. It's like, well, why can't I discuss certain things with my kids? Like, what does it matter if I discuss finances around my kids? Like, who cares? That's great. They're going to grow up and they're going to be a little more financially aware than what I was when I grew up. The affection definitely would have had an impact, right? There was a inherent rejection of adults, in particular adult males, when I was a teenager. Um, I didn't trust them. And that may have come from lack of connection. So lack of communication and lack of physical connection with my father. Um, and that sort of dragged forward through my life and was probably a big reason for, or part of the reason at least for my attitude of like, well, just sort of fuck everything, you know, just do whatever. And everything will play out okay now when i when i had my eldest child that changed i went well here's all these things like you know and all parents do this when you have kids you're going to look at your parents in the way you were raised and you're going to take those things and you're going to go well how can i do that better what didn't i like and what did i like and there there tends to be an overemphasis on the things you didn't like right? And I'm going to completely change those. And what can happen is you can swing it too hard the other way. So you can go from no affection to completely smothering your own fucking kids. And then you've got another fucking problem for when they grow up, right? They're going to have been smothered. They're going to get to teenage years. And I'm sure if I was smothered, I probably would have rejected everything as well, because I'll be like, I can't, I don't feel like I'm free to be me. I'm not allowed to be who I want to be because I'm constantly being sort of smothered and treated like a little baby that needs to be loved and adored and all this type of stuff. It's like, there's a change that happens, particularly, in, I can only really speak from a male's perspective, right? I'm not a female. So from a male's perspective, it's like, well, you get to that age and okay, I want to start, I wanna, I'm starting to want to work towards being a man. And when you're being smothered, that's very fucking difficult because you're constantly being reminded that you're a fucking child and you're a baby. And that can lead to rejection and mother wounds and future generational trauma. But in my case, it was the, it was this lack of connection, lack of affection. So how do I deal with that with my kids? And the answer to that was, I am just going to show them love as much as it strikes me, you know, I don't, every time I walk in the room, go up and hug my kids and give them a big kiss. But I tell them every day. I hug them in the morning when they come up. 
uh, when they wake up from bed, like when they come out of the room, I'm like, all right, come give me, give me a cuddle, give me a kiss. And then, you know, go do some playtime or read a story or something. I kiss them when I leave, if I'm going somewhere, the same as I kiss their mother. Like if you're going to leave the house and you're going to kiss your wife goodbye, kiss your kids goodbye. And then just throughout the day, like if they come up to me with something that they're really proud of, I'm going to stop whatever I'm doing. I'm going to give them a big cuddle and a hug. I'm just going to be like, I'm proud of you. That's great. That doesn't have to be a, I'm proud of you and, or anything. It's like, it, I can just be proud of you for exactly what you've shown up with today. Whatever that is. It was better than yesterday or worse than yesterday. I'm still proud of you for having a go. Absolutely. I, um, I, I, I'm a firm believer and I think this is something as I've evolved in fatherhood and being more present in this journey for me, mm -hmm. children are our teachers. Children bring up our childhood trauma to show us how to overcome it, how to love, how to have compassion, patience. And that's the biggest takeaway when I, when I listen to this is that you're, what I interpret is your, your firstborn was your, your teacher to help you yeah. work through what you were experiencing, that lack of connection and things of that nature as a, as a child, they were your teacher to, to overcome that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's not a one-off story. It's not a one-off class. It's a, it's a day by day. It's an every, it's a year by year. That's always going to change. You know, as they grow and they change, my approach is going to change, right? I find with my my eight-year-old now, she, because I, I, I tend to try and fix, even though I'm aware of that fact, I still try and fix emotions a lot, right? If they're getting upset, I want them to calm down. I, want, I don't want them to be sad. And I catch myself every now and then trying to fix. And... I noticed like, uh, this was like a couple of months ago, my daughter was upset about something. And I think we were away on a scouts trip and she was like, wanted to sit up the back with her friends, but then the back seat was full. So she sat like one seat forward and she was just sitting there and she was, she was upset because she wanted to sit up the back with her friends. And then there was no one sitting next to her. And I went up and checked her because I was sitting down the front talking to some of the other adults. And I just was watching and I went, oh, no, she's missed out again. I'm like, well, I can't, I don't need to fix that. It's a, it's a lesson and it sucks. And as much as I want to go up the back of that bus and say, hey, kids, can we shuffle around? Because she wants to sit up the back. I don't think that that's a fair lesson. And it's a little too controlling, right? And I want my kids to grow up and be able to navigate life on their own without me having to do, the, do it for them. So I went up and I checked on her. I said, hey, how you doing? Like, I can see you're upset. What's wrong? And she's having some issues because this is like, we still had to wear masks and stuff on buses. She couldn't get her mask out. So she was just panicking because she wanted to have her mask and stuff on. I said, okay, that's fine. I'll get your mask out for you. Like, is there anything you need? And she goes, no, I just need to be left alone. Okay, great. So I went and sat down in the front of the bus. And rather than just sort of leaving it at that, I kept checking back in on it. Every couple of minutes, I'd look back. And then after about 10 minutes, she was like waving to me to come and sit. I was like, okay, what's going on? I went up there and I said, she's like, I just want you to sit with me. Okay. 
and there was that was the point where I went, oh, I need to like talk her, I need to talk to her about this situation and just try and calm her down, right, and settle her out. Earlier that same day, I did that with her. She was getting upset about something and I tried to talk her down from where she was. She was getting a bit upset by something. I was like, no, 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 it's okay. I can just offer some perspective and you'll drop it back down to here. She's eight years old. She, she, can't, she can't understand my perspectives at 32 years old yet. That just takes time and experience in life to, to, to understand these nuances of life. And she just started to like, she just walled up and just went, no, nah, I don't want to talk about it. Don't want to talk about it. I was like, okay, what was that? Like, that's something that I would have done when I was a kid. What, what's in that? And then I, it just sort of like, like that went, oh, shit. I was trying to control her experience and her emotions in this situation. And she's now rejecting me doing that because I've been doing it too much. And she's starting to get to this, like starting to get older. She's going to hit puberty soon. Things are really going to start to change. And it's like, I don't want that. I don't want her walling up and shutting me out as a father. Like I want her to know she can come to me, even if it's just for me to listen, if she needs advice, if she needs direction, like even if she just needs complete silence and just some physical touch. I wanted to know that she can get that. So when we're circling back to the bus thing, I wanted to do that again. I went, no, she's just going to reject that. And it's probably going to make the whole situation worse. It's going to stay as a negative experience for her. Um, like we homeschool. So buses, like she's, this was like her first time being on a massive like school bus size bus, right? So she was excited as shit for it. And then this happened and I'm like, well, I understand that it doesn't matter because, but I was on a fucking bus in school for years. So like, I've got all this experience that tells me that it's fine. And in the long term, it's not going to matter. But to her, this was this big new thing and it's, it's ruined because this thing didn't turn out the way she wanted it to. So I ended up just sitting there and rather than trying to control anything, I was like, well, how can I, how can I reframe this so that the thing she takes away from today, which was a fantastic day, of you know different events with all these scouting kids and they had a lot of fun. I was like, how can I reframe it so that that's what she takes away from today rather than this issue with the bus? And I was just sitting there, I just sat with her in silence for a bit. She just like, I was holding her hand and I was like, hey, would you like to see some photos I took from today? And she's like, yeah. I was like, how about I show you the ones that I sent to your sister? Because her and her sister are just like this. They get along really well. I was like, her name's Noonie. She, she goes by the nickname Noonie. So I was like, how about I, send, I show you the photos I sent to Noonie today? She goes, okay. And I started with that. And then she was like, oh, what other photos did you take? What other videos did you take? And I was just showing her all these videos that I took of her today, like doing all these things that she'd never tried before. And she did a really good job. And then I just started telling her that. I was like, oh, you did such a good, good job on this, on this rope climb. Like you really killed it. Like I didn't think you were going to be able to do it. And you nailed it in one go. And then she started to get excited and get happy again. And then she kind of, I don't know necessarily if she forgot about the bus incident, but it just reframed everything. It's like, hey, this bad thing happened, but here's all this good stuff that happened. And it wasn't sort of forced. It was, I just offered it up as, a, as like a question, right? It wasn't a, I'm going to show you these things and you've got a lot to be grateful for. It was a, hey, would you like to see this? And if she said no, okay. I would have just sat there in silence. Sounds like a good implementation of positive psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Like meeting them, right? Not 
not coming to them and trying to bring them back. It's just that I'm just going to come to here and you can either step this way or you can stay where you are. Either way, I'm just right here. And when you need me, I'm, I'm just here. You can just come to me. You can take that step. Um, so yeah, that was like a powerful reminder for me in just that communication and how we communicate and how I, as a man, as a father, I'm a big loud dude and I can be aggressive. You know, I like to have a voice at work, especially for people that otherwise wouldn't voice concerns. So it's easy for me to just talk and all this. So it's like, I need to be in check of that because that's work me. That's me in a space with other adults that have got a world life, like they've got a lifetime of experience and knowledge and they know the nuances and the dichotomies of all these different things. This is an eight-year-old. She just needs a father. She just needs some love and some compassion and some understanding and to know that she's seen and heard and valued as a person. That's what she needs from me. She doesn't need me to fix her or fix her experiences. She'll learn that on her own as she grows. The only thing I can do is be there to support her on her journey, not control it, not telling her how to live her life or how to respond to different things. Sure, there's a time and a place for discussing um, certain things where it's like, hey, I need, I saw you doing this thing earlier and we need to just discuss that there's, there's going to be times in your life where people are not going to respond nicely to that. They're not going to like that, you know, and you just need to, I just wanted you to know that so that if you do it, at some point in your life, you may come across this. It's not a, I'm telling you to stop unless it's like picking your nose and eating it. It's like, no, that's, that's just socially unacceptable. You shouldn't do that. You know, dropping your pants in public, socially unacceptable. <laughs> I can't allow you to do that. Um, but yeah, like talking to people and being loud and like being excitable and stuff, like people want to stop kids from doing that sometimes. I'm like, no, that's just, that's their experience. And why should anyone be trying to curve their experience of life? How has your reframing and your, you stopping the trauma, the generational trauma that you've experienced as a child, how has that benefited your family, benefited yourself, benefited those around you? So, Again, mine was around connection, like physical connection and, and communication. Um, it's a work in progress for me. And like, it's like most things, it's always going to be something I have to check in on, right? My, connect, my communication and connection are so much better than they ever were, but it's still work in progress. It's still gonna need development. It's still gonna be, need to be refined. There's still times where I blow up. You know, I still find myself yelling sometimes when I'm not necessarily dealing with my own shit in the right way. And that's okay, right? I've always been in a stance, like it's okay if you yell at your kids. Sure, you don't want to do it all the time. You don't want it to be your go-to, but have some compassion for yourself that you are human and it's okay that you're going through some shit and that some things can be overwhelming and your temper, like your temper can be, a lot easier to explode. That's okay. Do you apologize for it when you cross a line? And I made a stance with my kids that like, 
if I ever yell and afterwards I go, wow, I overreacted to that. I make it, I make it a very deliberate act that within that same time period, at least even if it's close to bedtime, I will not go to let them go to bed without apologizing for that. Right. They can be screaming. I can send them to bed, whatever. But once I hear them start to calm down and I've calmed down, it's like, all right, I need to go and explain that I'm sorry. Here's some, here's like this situation. Here's how I reacted. The way I reacted was not appropriate. And I'm sorry for that. There's not usually a but. There's not usually an anything. It's just an I'm sorry that I yelled at you like that. I really shouldn't have done that. And then I'll hug them. I'll kiss them. I'll make sure that they know they're loved before they go to bed. I don't want my kids ever to go to bed feeling like they're unloved. Ever. And the affection part of it which another sort of interesting part was we had kids and i was like yeah i'm going to kiss my kids because they need to know that they're loved and i'd had these conversations with my wife much earlier and it was like a few times when she was pregnant like oh if we have a boy you know she'd kind of stir me and test me in my masculinity to see that sort of see where i'm at and kind of tease me a little bit like oh if we have a boy you're going to kiss him and i was like nah no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Then I had a son. And I went, he is just as fucking beautiful as my girls. He is just as deserving of love and affection as my fucking girls are. Yes. What makes him any fucking different to my girls? And to this day, she still stirs me because like my, my son is three months old. My lad, like I've got two sons, two daughters. He's three months old. And like every time I see him, I'm like, man, I've got to kiss you. Like you are so fucking beautiful. You're mine. Like I just, I can't wait to see you grow. It's a fucking pleasure as a father and as a man to watch my kids grow. And I don't even know where this belief that you can't kiss your sons comes from. I don't, I don't know where that story starts. I know it's a story that we hear or it's, it's developed from somewhere in our lives but why the fuck does it matter? And why do I need to listen to it? It's not my fucking story. I know what my story is and I don't want my kids to relive that. So why would I be getting around kissing my daughters and loving them and hugging them all the time and not my sons? It's like, they're going to grow up saying, oh, well, dad, was, dad really loved the girls. What if one of my son's love languages is physical touch and I'm, and I'm choosing not to give it to them, but I'll give it to their sisters. How fucking crushing and damaging could that be? to them growing up. And that's if anyone that, on here doesn't know the love languages, get that fucking book and read it. It will change your fucking connection to your family 50,000 times over. And that's that's powerful. I, I know that I, I shared before that I grew up with uh, what I thought was my biological father, but learned at 22 that he wasn't my, my biological father. And I didn't have that, that affection that, you know, like kissing and, and, and kissing on the lips and hugging. I didn't have that growing up to that extent, right? My dad would mm. give me a hug, you know, good job here and there. But when I met my biological father at 22, their family kissed on the lips and gave a big hug. That's how they, that's how they uh, introduced them, like see each other and left. And I was like, whoa, yeah. stop, stop, yeah. stop. Like, hold the phone. Like, this is weird as fuck. Yep. 
But what I didn't realize until we had this conversation 30 minutes ago, I wasn't accustomed to that. I didn't yeah. have that. And a person that I, my love language is physical touch, right? There is no other, there's no other language that makes me feel more loved than physical touch. And now like going through that with them, I have my, I have two boys and two girls just like you. And I, my, my oldest is eight and I kiss him. I hug him, you know, on the lips. And I, I told him I was joking and I, and, and I'm probably not joking, but I was like, I was making a, uh, a funny game about it. And I said, I'm going to kiss you till you're 50 on the lips. <laughs> <laughs> but I've had, I've had those feelings where I'm, I'm like, you know what, like, this this is what we need as men we like we we try to suppress that but like why like we are the teachers to show you know normalcy we are the teachers yeah. to allow our kids to express if we don't express our kill our children are never going to have that ability or see a healthy relationship with expression self-expression yeah yeah absolutely and that to go off on a slight tangent that that's applicable everywhere. And I think you nailed it at the start of the call. You said that not to, I'm going to, I can't remember the exact words, but it was basically like how we show up and the things we do is what our kids are going to grow up and emulate. Right. So if I'm, if I sleep in every day and I drink beer and I do nothing but watch TV and I don't talk to my kids, what are they going to do when they, as they grow? They're going to do that. Maybe not with their family, but they'll probably do it with me. And I don't want that. So I show up. I'm out of bed early. I make them breakfast. I hug them. I kiss them. I help them get dressed. I help them brush their teeth if they ask me. Not all the time, because sometimes I'm not in the right mindset for that. If, they're like, if I'm trying to get them into bed and it's late and I'm like, you need to get to bed. And then they're coming to me and I'm trying to clean up or something. And they're like, oh, can you brush my teeth? It's like, nah, you're right. You can go and brush your teeth tonight. And then maybe I'll do it for you tomorrow. Like there's, yeah. there's plenty of play with all this stuff, right? But if I'm not exercising and I'm not eating right, I'm not communicating well and I'm not showing love and affection. What am I doing for my kids? What am I teaching them? And that takes a lot of fucking self-reflection to work that out. And so it's something that can be very, very confronting. What, what am I teaching my kids not with my voice? If I just go and just act out my day, what am I teaching my kids? Because whatever they're seeing is what they're learning. Hey, yeah, absolutely. If I, I want to ask you one last question, and then we, I, I want you to tell, tell the listeners and everybody how you can be found. But if you could go back, if you were you know, 32, 33, however old you are, old Matt right could go back to 19 year old Matt and give him advice what would it be that's an awesome question I think the thing that I don't know exactly what the advice would be, but I think I would teach myself or I would talk to myself about having compassion for myself. And I would definitely blast him in the fucking head with 
no more Mr. Nice Guy. And I'd be saying, you need this book. If there's one book you need to read, it's this. It's going to change your relationships, change your communications, set up healthy boundaries. Like at that age, I didn't listen to advice from anyone. I had plenty of experienced guys around me giving me solid life advice, put money into savings, put it into shares, do all these things. I was still not ready for any of that. But I think if I met a future version of myself that was me now, it would have, it would have fucked with me so much. But like, how did I get to there? And I would have wanted to know that. And there too were the things, you know, the advice would be have, you need to have some compassion for yourself that you're going to make fucking mistakes that you're not going to do everything perfectly and it's going to take time, but you're going to get there. I, uh, I truly appreciate your, your time today. Uh, like I mentioned before, there's no other person that I would want on this podcast for my first time than you, right? The connection, the, the, the conversations, what we've been through together in a, in a short 12 week period. I am truly excited to get this out to the world, to grow, to uh, let people know that it is okay that we men and, and people in general are dealing with things, but it's how you reframe it and how you shift to change the narrative in your story. Everybody has a story. It's how you narrate it, how you want to be in control of it. And uh, if there's one thing that I've learned from you in our, in our, on our time together is I just love how amazing you are as a father, as a man. And like, when I jump on these zoom calls with you and seeing your kids run in the background and your interactions and things of that nature, like you've really shifted and end the generational trauma that you, that was holding you back. Yes, there's more, right? I, I, everybody has something they're going through, but you really made that shift. And uh, I, I can't, words can't, uh, I, I don't have words to tell you how thankful I am. So uh, once again, please tell the listeners how they can find you, how they can reach out. You are starting your coaching practice just as I am. Uh, and you're taking clients on actively. So please speak to that right now. All right. So I can be found on Instagram. Um, it's father of the tribe AU with underscores between each word. Um, I do have a website. There's a link in my Instagram bio for that um, where I'm, I've started posting some blog articles and stuff. Um, I wrote one just the other day on writing love notes, you know, sort of like a guide for manly men, dudes like me. Um, so yeah, if you want to jump on, have a read of that, go nuts. You may take something away from it. Um, and yeah, I think I've got a connection call link in there as well. So if the sound of my voice resonates with you and my story and you want to reach out, you want some help, you need to figure out as a man how to get from where you are to where I am, I can absolutely help you with that. I've done a lot. And like I said, I've made a ton of mistakes and I've learned a lot from them and it's taken me a long time. But doing this course and a lot of other reflection over the last few years has really sort of narrowed that down for me. So I've got a lot to offer, a lot to teach in a short period of time. Um, so yeah, reach out. They're my, they're my main ways. Um, and yeah, I think I just want to say thank you. It's a fucking honor to be 
thought of for your first podcast guest. Um, I very much appreciate that. And I very much appreciate your words and the kindness for honoring me as a father. Um, it's definitely been a journey and a half. And I look forward to it being a much, much bigger journey the older my kids get and the more of them that I have. So thank you, brother. Maybe uh, maybe we uh, join the six kid club. <laughs> my wife watches this long, she'll be like, hell no. <laughs> She's a great mother. I'm sure she'd love to have more. Absolutely. Hey, once again, I appreciate you, brother. And uh, I'll get this out as soon as possible.